Hello, you guys. Welcome to episode 49 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives in the well-known and, more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite, you guessed it, reality TV stars and reality TV adjacent. It's me, Troy McKitty, and, uh, my God, have I got an episode for you today. Like, there are no words, really, to even... Now, I know that I like to talk a big game as far as, like, the amount of notes that I take every week, but, like, truly... This is the most notes I've ever taken for an episode of a podcast. I've never prepped for an episode like this. Um, it feels like a milestone. I mean, truly, like, I don't know if I've ever covered an, a, a couple with more um, more juicy deets. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's a uh, This was a, a real wild, wild ride. A real harrowing tale, if you will. That's not the correct use of harrowing tale, but it's fine. You know what I mean? It was just a fucking mess, really. I mean, in the words of me, Troy McEady, this was a fucking mess. Quote, put it on my grave. Put it on my tombstone. Episode 49 of The Smush Room was a fucking mess. You guys, um, we're going to be talking about Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes today. I promised you last week that I would do a part two to Nicole and Tom. And um, I didn't plan on doing it so soon, but you know how I get when I get a little bit of Tom in me. Uh, it's truly like tiger blood. I have a bloodthirst for Tom Cruise. And, you know, I think the problem was that I was completely blindsided last week because we were talking about, like, the honeymoon period of Tom's life and of Tom's career. And then when you venture over to the Katie Holmes period, that's where things get dark. And I'm reminded of all the non-Christian behavior and the non-Christian activity, um, happening with Tom, (laughs) in like 2005 i mean my god this man is like like i know that he's still a social pariah but like it's honestly amazing to me that we even allow him to do films i mean honestly like the fact that he is not just like living on an island in seclusion somewhere from all the embarrassment he's faced like it's truly wild um but you know it doesn't mean i didn't rest my head on my like knuckles and just skim through photos of him from the 80s and 90s during my research yeah i did it doesn't mean that i didn't zoom in on his top gun photo where his leg is propped up sure and i zoomed in on questionable parts of the photo yeah so you know that's my truth i mean it is what it is i i i I told you i like problematic men i i love I love men that would kill me. That's really my kink. Like, if you are the kind of man who would potentially cause me great harm, ruin my life. I like K-Feds, you know what I mean? Like, that's why I relate to Britney so much. I'm sexually attracted to a man that would ruin my life. Like, that is truly my version of The Bachelor. Anyway, I guess we should jump right into it. And also, before this episode ends... um, I do have kind of a little bit of an announcement, and I guess I will just let you guys know that at the end of the episode. Uh, or maybe I should tell you at the beginning, because some of you are not Patreon members, so you won't get the facts. Um, I'll just do it now. Why not? Because it's kind of bad news, but it's also not bad news. It's just, it's it's housekeeping, as I like to call it. Um, so I decided it, for a little while, not very long, three weeks is what we decided on, um, we're doing just a tiny bit of a break for this mushroom. Um, I'm on the cusp of my 50th episode and, uh, your boy's exhausted. I'm fucking exhausted. I'll be honest. 
consecutively for 50 weeks doing this podcast, give or take maybe 48 or 47. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been super fucking fun. It's been really exciting. It's been a huge growing period for me because I swear to God, like at the beginning of doing this podcast, I could not listen to the sound of my voice on a voicemail. And now I'm forced to go back and listen to myself for hour to hour and a half to two hour to two and a half hour intervals of me just rambling off useless information. Um, but no, like in all seriousness, like it's been incredible. And like, I can't believe like that you guys like listening to me talk about this shit. Like truly it's wild to me that people still listen. It's, it's honestly insane to me that people listen to this in my head. It's still just me and, like, occasionally my mom when she's, like, shopping or something. You know what I mean? Like, it's not actual people. And it makes me feel really good. And it's exciting. And it, like, it's super appreciated. And I don't know. I just don't know what, I don't even know really what else to say. Um, But, yeah, I'm just going on a short little break. It's nothing crazy. I just need to, like, get ahead of the game. I need to, like, take a mental retreat um, <laughs> and just like, you know, bank up some stuff. Like I'm going to work on some really incredible episodes while I'm, while I'm on the break and, uh, maybe talk to Nicole and Molly about releasing some of my favorite episodes of this podcast. or so the ones that you guys have responded to the most in full for free. So that if you're not a Patreon member and you're listening to this, like you'll be able to hear what it sounds like when these couples break up uh, at the end of the episodes. So, yeah, that's really, um, that's all I was going to say. I mean, I was going to save it for the end, but I guess why, why not just pull the rug from under you at the, at within five minutes of listening to this and let you know that a thing you look forward to every week is taking a short hiatus. Um, it's like I said, it's only three weeks and then we'll be back in business and everything will be fine. But you know, your boy just needs a little bit of a break. That's all just a mental vacation. You know what I mean? I also work at nine to five. I mean, Apple has me slinging phones like a goddamn new slave so you know i've got your boy's got a lot on his plate anyway (laughs) so that was the housekeeping i just wanted to let you guys know that and um we'll be back normal in three weeks and that's all that that's it all right i want to feel awkward now so i want to move on um let's talk about tom and katie let's like really get into this let's just like you know if you're driving you know, like, I hope that you're on, like, a long car ride that, like, is scenic. If you're at work, I hope that you're, like, having kind of a lazy day where you can just kind of sit back, like, eat some Cheez-Its and just, like, listen to this. Because truly, it's it's a beautiful retelling of Romeo and Juliet, re- filtered by the Church of Scientology. So, Tom and Katie started dating in April of 2005. They got engaged in June of the same year. And they were officially married on November 18th of 2006. Uh, they divorced on July, in July of 2012. And, um, I mean, like, not only were Katie and Tom obviously, like, an iconic couple, like, culture shifting, you know, all those things go without question. Um, but, like, without any doubt, like, the biggest couple to ever come out of Scientology. They really, you know, there, there was our perception of the church of Scientology before Tom and Katie. And then there was our perception after, and you know, it's because of them, it's never going to be the same. Um, 
you know, they had a daughter together. Obviously, Siri is a an iconic child. Uh, by the way, one of the negative reviews of this podcast on iTunes is that I say iconic too much. So now every time I say it, which is every mm, two or three minutes, um, I'm very conscious of it. So um, I'm just letting you know that I am aware that I say iconic too much, not only on this podcast, but in life. And the thing is, is that I can only work on one thing at a time. Uh, right now I'm working on um and uh, which... I've said probably 40 times. It's been eight minutes. So, you know, I'm, I'm a human person. I, I, I can't do all those things at one time. Um, that one negative commenter who said I say iconic too much. I'm sorry. Okay. I can't help it. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I mean, Suri Cruz is an iconic child and, uh, you know, she's interesting because she represents this like shift in paparazzi culture and how, you know, kids were treated in tabloids, uh, you know, not that they weren't treated terribly before Suri was born, but, like, you know, Suri was really, like, hounded. I mean, Suri was hounded and talked about in magazines like she was a an adult. What she was wearing, if she looked tired, if her hair was a mess, if her dress, like, if her clothes were a mess. Like, Suri Cruz was talked about as if she was, you know, like, Blake Lively leaving her apartment. Like, it was crazy. Um... Also, Katie's departure from the Church of Scientology marked a huge turning point for the church and the public's perception of the church. Uh, not that it was perfect before, but, you know, the the cracks had really started to show. You know, Oprah always says that uh, messages in life come to you as like, you know, it starts off as like a pebble that hits you on the head and then it's a rock and then it's a giant brick, and then the whole wall falls on you. And this was the moment where I think we were all hit over the head with a brick. A Scientology brick. And then throughout 2005, 2006, 2007, the wall just started to slowly crumble on our heads. Like, we truly were just killed by this church like it everything was exposed and now thanks to Liam Remini and we know literally everything about the church but you know that it I would say that it started around this time um Katie has also been described as the church of Scientology's worst nightmare because she used her own she used her own brand her own version of their guerrilla warfare tactics to exit the church um you know leah or not leah but uh katie holmes is privy to some extremely detrimental information when it comes to the church especially being married to tom who was like the highest ranking basically one of the leaders of the church um you know katie had a lot of clout she knew a lot of information and she i think katie looked at Nicole Kidman as an example of what she didn't want to do and what she didn't want uh, her life to become, losing her child to this church. And, you know, she she fought clean, but at the same time, she fought real dirty, which we'll get into. So, um, again, if you haven't listened to the Tom and Nicole episode, I would definitely suggest going back and listening to it just because 
I gave a whole expose about Tom's life and how he was raised and, you know, his father being abusive and his introduction into the church and, you know, what this church meant to him. And, um, you know, we talked a lot about Tom and I want to kind of pick up where we left off. And I'd like to start with Katie, if we could. Um, she's my hometown girl. She's raised in Toledo, Ohio. So, you know, represent. I've never even been to Toledo. It's like literally not near me at all. But like, what up? Um, so, yeah, Katie was raised in Toledo. Her mom was a homemaker and her dad was a very well-respected attorney. And uh, she had a really normal sort of idealistic childhood. She was raised in a very stereotypical sort of close-knit American bread and butter you know, meat and potatoes, football on Sunday, coupon mom family. Like, you know, she has said in interviews and stuff that she can count on one hand the number of times in her life that she's been grounded. And anytime her parents had to yell at her, which she can also count on one hand, uh, it would completely destroy her. Like, it would completely wreck her existence, her parents being mad at her. Like, Katie was a straight-A student. She was a really, like, a very goody-two-shoes, just good girl, you know? Um, she was very naive. Uh, she stayed very naive and very young for a very long time. I read in an interview with her, a friend of hers from childhood that she's still friends with, um, who said that Katie was the last person in their group of friends to stop playing with Barbies and baby dolls, and that one night they had a sleepover, and when they went in Katie's room, um, it was just full of these, like, adolescent toys and all these Barbie dolls. And she got out all these dolls so that they could, like, play. And these are, like, tweens. Like, the girl was like, girl, like, I'm trying to, like, find boys to give blowjobs to. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to play with Barbies. And she told Katie that, you know, she felt like it would be time for her to put that stuff away and that people thought it was weird, and that their other girlfriends were, like, dating, and, like, you know, trying to, like, grow up and fill out a bra or whatever, and, uh, she said that that was, like, the most distraught she had ever seen Katie look, and that it truly felt like her heart had broken, realizing that she couldn't play with her dolls anymore, so, like, in a nutshell, that was Katie Holmes as a child, which I'm probably, I'm sure it doesn't really surprise you, but, like, you know, it just kind of confirms that she is what you think she is, you know? On top of all that, she also attended an all-girls parochial school called Notre Dame. And, um, you know, she was she was taught things like, you know, uh, I mean, I don't even really know where to begin. Like, she was taught by nuns, obviously. Um, things like, like in health class, for example, I read that they would talk about how, you know, for girls sex means love and for boys love means sex that's what they were taught in health class where they should be learning what their periods are they're learning that men and women don't look at sex the same way and that it's biblical which is fucking insane i mean honestly like no offense to like nuns and christians i am one clearly but like <laughs> like I don't, I never look at a nun with the respect that a lot of people do or like the way that you see people, maybe because I wasn't raised in like a church going family and religion was not like instilled in me at all. 
um if anything like my mom went to a catholic school and was a teen parent so like she was like <laughs> she was like the 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 most cliche version of like a, a catholic school girl that exists um and my mom like knew every my, my mom knows the bible to and from like back and forth like first page to last but like you know we never were like religious it was just how she was raised and uh i mean yeah i just never like i would never walk past a nun and think like oh my god like i need to get down on my knees and like bow to this like woman who's chosen this like suppressive celibate life anyway not that we i mean not that this is like the episode where we like debunk nuns like that's not happening um so Katie's dad wanted her to be a doctor growing up. Uh, education was extremely important in their family. Um, and she knew from a fairly young age that she wanted to act. But her, you know, her family, they were like sports people. Like all of her siblings, she had four siblings. They all played several sports. Her dad was like a lawyer and a coach. So their entire lives revolved around just like middle American, like cliche, like football shit. You know what I mean? And that wasn't what she saw for herself at all, but that was, like, you know, her family had no sort of, like, um, they had no, like, thought outside of your, of course, you just get an education and, you know, get a job as a doctor or a lawyer or whatever or a nun. Um, as a teenager, she started in Hello, Dolly and Damn Yankees. She started modeling, <laughs> modeling at 14, and uh, I guess what you would consider to be her brick whoa her brick break came in 1997 when she attended a competition for the international modeling and talent agency i'm sorry talent association uh she performed a monologue from to kill a mockingbird which led to uh the audition tape being sent to ang lee uh who at the time was casting a film called ice storm with sigourney sigourney reaver and kevin klein and that ended up being her like big screen debut i mean it wasn't like you know it didn't make her a star but it was her you know for your first role to be with kevin klein and sigourney reva like that's pretty cool um so during pilot season in 1997 katie went out in la uh hoping obviously to land a role in a show um it was reported at that time that she was actually considered for the lead in buffy the vampire slayer uh which she didn't turn down but obviously didn't work out for her and, um, this next part of the story is, sorry, I have to say it, iconic. Um, it's TV folklore. You may or may not have heard this story before. Uh, if you have, you'll enjoy it again. If you haven't, buckle up. Like, it's actually, it's like the most charming, adorable thing ever. And it tells you everything that you would ever need to know about Katie Holmes. But first, a sip of water. By the way, I'm drinking from a glass of water that, like, is very questionable. Like, it's sitting on my computer desk, and it looks like I set it here today, but I don't know. Its innards tell a different story. There are things floating in here that don't look like fluoride, which is fine. Anyway, so Columbia TriStar asked Katie to come out and audition for a part in the show that they were casting for called Dawson's Creek. And when Katie realized that the audition would conflict with the opening night of damn Yankees at her school, uh, she turned it down. 
Now, this is a girl who, like, went out, auditioned for roles during, like, has had this dream of modeling since she was a kid, like, wanted to be an actor since she can remember, and she's contacted by Columbia TriStar to audition for a leading role on a teen sitcom, or sitcom, a teen drama, and she turned it down because she was loyal to her her girls at school, L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-V-E. <laughs> and she said, nah, bitch, I have a play to do. I'm in damn Yankees. And uh, she said, I was doing my school play damn Yankees and I was playing Lola. I even got to wear a feather boa. I thought, there's no way I'm not playing Lola to go to audition for some network. I couldn't let my school down. We had already sold a lot of tickets. So I told Kevin and the WB, I'm sorry, I just can't meet with you this week. I've got other commitments. Mind you, she's also like eight years old, acting like she's fucking Jaja Gabor, which I love. She's like, no, I'm sorry, I am already booked. As Alyssa Edwards would say, I'm booked for the gig. And she's like doing, putting on a fucking boa and playing Lola in the Toledo, Ohio production of Hello, Dolly. Like, or damn Yankees. I'm obsessed. Um, so the producers in the network allowed Katie to audition via videotape which was kind of you know it was unheard of back then like they didn't know this girl and they had no reason to give her a second chance they were pissed off at her for doing this in the first place they were like what the fuck like who does she think she is uh so she her mother recorded a video of her um auditioning for the role and her mom actually read james vanderbink's whoa (laughs) james vanderbink's uh she read james vanderbink's lines so like her mom is like you could youtube this like her mom is like reading james's lines and like she's doing her lines and it's hilarious i mean it's just fucking hysterical also i just want to say really quickly how important kevin williamson is in all of our lives he wrote scream he wrote, I know what you did last summer. And I'm just like, you know what? Honestly, thank you. Like, thank you for, like, literally forming my childhood, teenage years, and making me into the 30-year-old man that I am today. Like, thank you, Kevin Williamson. I love you, Kevin Williamson. Anyway, obviously he's listening. It's fine. Anyway, so Dawson's Creek was an immediate hit, and... It raised the WB's uh, ratings by 19% in its first year. Um, it also took the cast from these like relatively unknown kids to these huge global superstars overnight. And Katie was the breakout star of the show. And uh, in a Rolling Stone article from 1998, um, a year after the show premiered, or actually that may have been the year that the show premiered and they were filming the second season, I think. Uh, the writer of the article described her as the embodiment of American girlhood. And I just don't think that there's any better way to describe a young teenage Katie Holmes. Um, she was just like a very classic beauty. She was fresh faced. Um, you know, she was always very sort of understated and sort of unaware of her beauty. You know, like Katie Holmes was so beautiful and like so pretty but like definitely seemed like one of those girls that had no idea that she was pretty or that she was like a a classic beauty if you will and uh the interviewer also said 
Holmes ha- Holmes has the kind of qualities that seem almost old fashioned in this day and age, especially in the look at me age that kids are in now. Modesty, empathy, honesty. Uh, there is not a jaded bone in her body. She's so sweet and wholesome and genuine that it seems to be a throwback to another era. One in which mom stayed at home and dad gently taught you right from wrong. Uh, families helped each other out and people went to church on Sundays. And like, to be honest, like that was Katie's life. <laughs> like the, the cliched ideal, idealistic Americana that that woman was describing was how Katie Holmes was raised. Um, she is that girl. <laughs> like she is the definition of Americana. Um, Dawson's Creek launched the entire cast into the marketing machine, as we've talked about on this podcast many times. Uh, you know, the WB was like one of those networks specifically, I think, in my opinion, designed to create sort of new, young, like up and coming talent. You know what I mean? Like, it's probably hard for younger people, I think, to understand now. But like, starring in a show on the WB was like a guarantee that you would not only be on several Seventeen magazine covers, um, but you would also be guaranteed a like a a, a campaign for Neutrogena and Clearasil, herbal essences, um, got milk. You know what I mean? Like all the the go to staples that all of those people had, and um, you know the WB was just a part of the Teen Starlet machine. And to be honest, like. I don't think that you could sign a contract with that network and not be a part of some sort of campaign. Like, I feel like when they sat down and did negotiations, like, we're going to, you know, put you in the lead of this show popular. You have to do an Herbal Essences ad. Like, I feel like they went hand in hand because it was just too synonymous. Um, Dawson's Creek had a five-year run on the WB and was one of the most successful shows of all time for the network. And just in general, I mean, Dawson's Creek is, I mean, its legacy lives on. Um, and it really represents that time in the mid sort of mid to late 90s, like sort of early 2000s. You know, when the WB was at the very tip, tip, tippity top of its game, like it was just pumping out the hits and, you know, it was hit after hit, just like making starlet after starlet after star after star. And, uh, yeah, actually, also, by the way, little known fact that I read on the interwebs, Hand in My Pocket by Alanis Morissette was the original theme song for Dawson's Creek, and they actually used it for the pilot, and, um, like, right before the show was about to air, like, literally, like, days before, uh, Alanis decided she didn't want the, sh- the song to be a part of the show, so they scrambled, and, um, contacted Paula Cole, which, like, I don't want to wait is so synonymous now, like, with that show. Like, in all the parodies that I can remember from the 90s and, like, whatever, like, I just, I don't want to wait by Paula Cole. If you're too young to know what that song is, like, definitely YouTube it. Uh, I could sing it for you, but I can't do Paula justice. None of us can, really. It, it's just, it's synonymous with the show. I couldn't imagine, I could not imagine a world where Alanis Morissette was the theme song for Dawson's Creek. I can imagine that world in, like, a fantasy sense, but not in, like, a practical sense. You know what I mean? Um, Because <laughs> that makes sense. So during her run on Dawson's Creek, Katie starred in a handful of pretty successful films. Katie worked, 
consecutively. And I have some opinions on her career here fairly shortly. I just want to kind of do some uh, some housekeeping here really quickly. So she starred in Disturbing Behavior, which was sort of like a Scream era teen horror movie inspired by the Stepford Wives, except like it was Stepford Wives Goes High School. You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast. You'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast. Um, you'll get me and Molly's uh, Brittany and Kevin Chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.